Hi, psychology nerds, and welcome to an episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here, as always, with my friend, my co-host, chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How's it going, G? It is going great. You know, I'm an environmental psychologist, and so April is a huge month for me. And you may be thinking like, oh, it's tax season. Oh, that is not the reason why it's a a very hopping month for me. Uh, It is because of Earth Day, and I'm so excited. Um, It's my favorite time of year um, because, well, I feel like every day is Earth Day, uh, at least for me, but I like that the whole entire world also celebrates with me, and so it's a great month. How are things going with you, Ryan? Uh, it's going okay. I assumed it was tax day because I know how much money environmental psychologists make. And so this is a really, really big time of year for you where you have to take care of all that, all those extra finances. Um, I'm doing well. I, uh, you know, it's, we're recording this actually right at the beginning. Yesterday was actually one of my least favorite days of the year, which is April Fool's Day. Um, my son tried one prank on me. I got frustrated almost immediately. He pretended to fall down the stairs, uh, which was great. (laughs) Yes. I I was in my office. I heard a very loud thump and and I said, are you okay? And he said, April fools. And I I said, all right. So we're on the same page. I do not care for April fools jokes. um, And then you made him listen to our previous episode about how some things are not funny and pranks yeah. are one of them so yeah so I felt terrible I felt like I was sort of shaming him in the moment but at the same time I was really scared I thought he fell down the stairs so yep. um yeah but but I uh, I do enjoy April I enjoy we're getting uh, I think March is my least favorite month for weather reasons and so we're kind of yeah. moving into a better weather month I think I know it can go awry still we've had some real bad <laughs> storms in April but <laughs> But uh, yeah, so let's talk about Earth Day and Earth Week, because that is the theme of this episode, right? It's where uh, this is coming out on April 15th, which means that next week is Earth Week. When I was a kid, Earth Day was just a single day. Now we, now it gets a whole week. So we're moving in the direction that you want to move, right? Which is every day is Earth Day. Right. Like Earth Year is the goal, like our Earth Century. But, you know, I'll go with Earth Week. Um, and then Earth Month, you know, I'm out here just plugging the earth all day long. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, we should, we have a, uh, our guest today is, uh, is, is, you know, related to that theme. So I want to get to her in a second. Before we do, we have two pieces of business we have to take care of. One yeah. is that our intern Kelsey is in here and we need to, uh, it is, we gave her the day off because her birthday is tomorrow and she wanted to celebrate today. So she is not uh, with us today and we miss her and we're, I think, both feeling a little bit helpless. Is that a yes. fair assessment? Yes, I, I, I felt like we were kicking it back to the before times. Before <laughs> yeah. we had an intern and you and I had to do everything on our own, yeah. which is um, like somewhat less well-run machine. <laughs> than when Kelsey is here. So, um, but 
Happy birthday, Kelsey. Yes, happy birthday. It took us, so you know, Kelsey, it took us like 20 minutes just to take the picture at the, uh, <laughs> the intro of the episode. <laughs> so um, the other thing I wanted to do is uh, just mention, uh, give our, our listeners an assignment. So we have got our final episode of the season uh, and we are gonna be talking about hope and resilience uh, related to the pandemic. And we want, we're gonna really be talking about the psychology of hope and, and bringing some science on that, but we also want to hear from you. So if you want to be featured in that episode in some way, you can call the following number and leave a message for us. The number is 920-328-5167. You can call that number and leave a message and you can tell us what's giving you hope right now. Is that the assignment, G? Is that what we want them to do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So call that number. I'm going to say it again in a second. Tell us what's bringing you hope right now. What, what makes you feel good about the, about the future? Uh, and we are going to be playing those in a little uh, montage, I think, at the end of our last episode of the season. So that number again is 920 Five one six seven. All right. We want to hear from everyone. Just one sentence. Um, what is bringing you hope? Um, yep. And uh, after this incredibly challenging year, what's hopeful? And so we're going to end our season with hope. And I'm so excited. I am too. We should get to our guest today. I think. You ready? Yes. All right. I'm ready. So. <laughs> We are very excited for our guests today. This, like I said, this is our Earth Week episode. Um, she is a professor in the art discipline at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay and teaches painting and drawing courses. She received her MFA in painting from the Ohio State University. UW Green Bay awarded her the 2011 Founders Award for Excellence in Scholarship. She received SECAC's 2016 Award for Excellence in Teaching and a 2015 Silver Award from Graphis Design Annual New York. Recently, she served as the Erasmus Visiting Lecturer at the University of Kassel, Germany, and Artist-in-Residence at the Buren College of Art in Ireland. Please welcome Christy Dietz. How are you, Christy? Oh, just great. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> We are really excited to have you here. I'm gonna actually ask Georgina to sort of frame the episode here because this was very much her idea. She said, I've got a really cool one for Earth Week. So G, you wanna take it away? Absolutely. Well, I should disclose that Christy and I live next door to each other. Like ironically, <laughs> we're like 20 feet away from each other right now in our two different houses uh, doing this episode. And uh, so, I, I get some like firsthand looks at some of the artwork that, that Christy does and she's an amazing artist. And um, I also am on the sustainability committee at our university and she won the inaugural uh, sustainability teaching grant uh, for the work that she did in Ireland and also in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, doing um, sort of a, a mashup, and she's probably going to be mad at me for using that word, like a <laughs> mashup of art and ecology, uh, and really exploring how um, those two um, merge together and are represented in her art. Uh, so I thought it would be fantastic to talk about 
art and ecology and psychology too, and how, um, how that can help us celebrate Earth Week. And um, the, the theme of Earth Week is restore our earth. And so I think that that is just a really great theme to also think about. So I wonder, Christy, if you could tell us, um, I know this is only one segment of your art, but can you tell us like how you became intrigued with art and the ecology and tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, I would say uh, probably extends way back to my childhood and um, living in an area that was uh, close to a lot of forests and um, country land. And my um, uh, father was a farm boy and um, grew up in the country and so did all of my mother's uh, folks. So we were often uh, in those kind of areas um, and not too far from our home. Uh, also, there were a lot of trees and things. So I think having family walks um, in uh, those kind of areas were really um, primary experiences. And um, also, I found that I would often go off by myself in those areas and um, would make little altars uh, uh, that somehow I found a way to uh, like focus and quiet my mind. And it could be because there were a lot of kids in the house <laughs> and dogs. And <laughs> but, uh, uh, that's probably maybe a real initial um, kind of thing. And then also my father, um, who's a dentist and probably an eye for detail, somewhat like myself, um, <laughs> um, he would tell us on those walks, you, you have to look closely at things to um, understand them. So I remember when I was maybe in about fifth grade, um, uh, it's probably the time when your body's really starting to develop and um, uh, your senses are heightening. And I remember there was a change in my eyesight, actually, that I could see things differently and actually record the things that I was looking at somewhat accurately. and. Um, so I remember him saying, looking closely at things to understand them. Um, and I think I was drawing a lot of things from nature um, as a way of understanding them. And I got that feeling that uh, penetrating things through, through your own vision, finding patterns and rhythms uh, would somehow uncover something more um, deeply. But then as I got older, um, I think studying uh, about art, and of course, you know, I went on into art, um, and uh, in the 80s and 90s, I was started to do uh, a series of landscapes um, that were more, more sculptural, and reading something like um, Lucy Lepard's Overlay, um, that was from the 80s, uh, really influenced me um, in my thinking, and Su Susie Gablet's Reenchantment of Art. Uh, and those are about art and ecology and the environment. Um, so uh, I guess those are some uh, early influences and, and what intrigues me about it. I do think that um, echo art uh, has a potential to transform us and um, our planet. And I think through that, I mean, it sounds pretty idealistic, 
Uh, <laughs> I think that um, if we understand and enjoy the beauty and um, the complexities of nature, that somehow um, uh, that can be a way to restore and nurture earth. Certainly is a time we, we are almost to the time where we, if we don't do it now, it's going to be too late. But also I think if that sort of shift could let us um, restore and nurture our relationships with each other, um, which is really needed too. <laughs> um, I guess that uh, kind of cognitive dissonance, that's a, a surefire way of getting rid of that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. And I love um, that you, you use the word restore uh, a lot in, in talking about it. And that, that is the theme, but the theme is to restore our earth. But what I hear you saying is that art and nature and ecology can actually restore us. Um, and I think that that is an amazing gift um, that nature and art can provide, like even at a very young age, when you said, you know, like you would go out into nature to calm and, and to find like some sort of serenity and focus, uh, that is exactly what I study as a psychologist, as an environmental psychologist, that is exactly um, what I would say uh, is the basis of a lot of the research that, um, in environment and psychology. Yeah, so I used to work at an apple orchard and there was a, um, this is how I, this was the job I had all through college. And um, the, there was a woman who would, who would go out and paint in the orchard almost every day. She was just always there. And, I, and she, would, she would go to different spots and paint landscapes and set up an easel and, um, and I always, it looked like the perfect life to me, right? I mean, this it just felt so amazing to see this person just get to spend the day in nature doing something she obviously loved. But it, I'm curious to hear, because one of the things I also have been thinking about a lot lately, and I've actually been talking to one of your colleagues, Allison Gates, about, and that is the moods people need to be in when they, when they create art, you know, and, and the way in which we can, you know, maybe because I'm an anger researcher, I've been thinking specifically about anger, but I was wondering to what degree, um, I guess the calming effect of nature influence is your mood and therefore your art. And if that's always what you want, or if there are other emotions you want to bring into it and how those things play out with, with your, with spending time in nature. Oh, you too have such good questions. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, Yes, I think um, when you're in the actual, when you're in the studio actually doing the work, um, you really need um, a focus that lets everything else out. And I think um, artists have different rituals when they walk into the studio. Um, some people want to say their rituals because they feel like it's so sacred. I was recently on a, a a podcast with other artists and we were talking, someone brought that question up and some people just wouldn't reveal what they did. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's very interesting, but I, but I um, respect it. Um, like I have fuzzy shoes I need to put on and I put on usually NPR um, and that helps kind of get me um, uh, 
uh, in the mood where I'm putting everything from the day behind me and to focus on um, making art. Um, it's actually um, uh, very challenging and difficult because you have um, a goal that you're doing. And um, I, I think there are all way, ways of engaging in art making, but um, probably for someone like me uh, and like you, you know that um, it's a language or a way of knowing, um, you know, whatever your study is, that's a way of knowing. And um, uh, that really has a lot to do with um, a balance of logic and intuition, um, analysis and feeling. And um, the language part, you're always seeking to uh, break into some sort of new ground. And then I think you listen to that voice in the back of you, your head um, that uh, is that sort of like this internal dialogue that you're always playing, um, but then it adds a new loop um, somehow. And, um, um, but yes, um, you do have to have uh, quiet. And there is a, when you really hit on it and you're making, I feel like you're really in, in the zone um, in the flow, so to speak, um, and it, it zips along, and it, um, it's so exhilarating and so pleasurable. But I really think anybody can be an artist, um, truly, and uh, not everyone's going to be an academic artist or a gallery artist or a professional artist, but I really like the idea of um, some sort of even small thing, um, some even ephemeral thing that someone might do um, that could um, uh, help form a connection for them to someone else, to an idea um, that's somehow uh, transformational. Um, and I really think that that's true. And if we, all thought, if we all thought that way, that would be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you were uh, talking about building small altars out in nature as a child. I think that you and I were the, the same child just growing up in different states. Like I, I spent a large portion of my childhood out in nature building fairy gardens uh, to feed the animals that are out in nature. And, um, and I, I also have always been really interested in architecture as a, as a form of art and making architecture and art out in nature and I am by no means an artist, like a professional artist or an academic artist, but I got so much from spending that time in nature, not just sitting there, but actually like creating something in nature using natural items. And, and I wonder, um, I, I know that some of your art has used um, items of, that are organic or, or natural from the environment. Can you talk about how that came about and um, sort of a, a little bit about that artwork? Sure. Um, you're probably referring to the series Earth Texts. And um, that series uh, came out of the earlier landscape um, sort of relief sculpture type of pieces that I was doing. And actually there was a whole bunch of leftover um, plywood from those pieces and scraps and, um, you know, being a Midwesterner or just uh, frugally minded, <laughs> um, I, I thought I had to do something with those. And then I started to think, oh gee, I could use scraps of um, wood, 
you know, wherever I can find them. And um, those pieces are a lot smaller and they're actually made in two sections and brought together. So the pieces of the series as a whole um, titled Earth Text, they play off of um, the form of an open book and um, uh, they're, te they're texts of the earth, but they're also in some ways autobiographical explorations. They're about the fragile connection that we have with, each earth, with the earth and each other. And then um, uh, also about language and then um, things about uh, surfacing um, uh, that are part of uh, painting vocabulary, um, so to speak. So they combine a lot of things. Um, but uh, there's some serendipity with the, that series too. Um, one day um, after we had a big uh, thunderstorm in our neighborhood, there was a bird's nest that landed on my front porch. <laughs> and, uh, so I thought, well, gee, that needs an art piece for it. And, uh, uh, so things like that were easy to gather, like uh, slices of wood that I found in our wood shop once, or just sticks collecting them, stones. Um, and also those pieces are um, painted with encaustic. Um, encaustic is a very ancient painting technique and actually done on wood always. Um, encaustic is, comes from the Greek word encaustikos, which means to um, burn in. So that um, painting um, technique, you're, you heat up the wax and pigment and you brush it on. And after that, you refuse it down into the surface with the heat source. Um, so it's uh, kind of an aggressive form of, of painting in some ways and very three-dimensional, but um, it ha has beeswax um, in it. And um, through the course of using beeswax in those pieces, which will sometimes appear by itself, um, uh, I started to use other kinds of wax. And um, there's always metaphorical properties in materials. So, um, uh, they're actually um, animal, vegetable, and mineral um, waxes. And so I thought um, too that uh, I, one of the goals of the pieces were to include elements of animal, vegetable, and mineral. Um, so I started to cut my own hair and put um, in those pieces. And they're sort of visual puns. Um, uh, uh, one example uh, of a title is um, a reading circle which uh, has circles of um, sliced pieces of wood going around and, and they're put into indentations in the piece. Um, another uh, piece is called Spiral Bound and um, that has uh, hair from old age, I mean, sir, sorry, um, uh, like childhood to old age um, with a like a French spiral braid binding the two halves together. So anytime I show that piece, I have to learn how to French braid all over again. <laughs> um, that's just two quick examples um, from that series and the materials that I uh, used. But, you know, I was thinking, Georgina, of um, materiality and painting and then also um, using other histories um, of ma materials that have other histories that you move, uh, combine with your own history. And I remembered the bread proofing boxes that you did a mindful exercise um, for our students when we, I had them um, working with those uh, bread proofing boxes from a bakery. They were just such beautiful objects. 
um, and um, you guided them through that project. And that's a real example of materiality and um, how it can add a rich language to um, whatever it is that you might be doing as an artist. Christy, I have your website pulled up here and I'm looking at some of the pieces you're talking about while you while you describe them. It's christydeets.com, by the way, and we're gonna make sure we link to it from all of the different places people see this. Cause I pulled up earth text so I could look at the ones you were talking about while you spoke about them, but there's so many pieces here and they're all so beautiful. I love uh, the very first one on the list, book binding is a really, really interesting little uh, looking piece. And there's just so much here that's so fascinating. I think one of the things I'm always struck by when I, when I have a chance to talk with artists is how much creativity and not, not just, I guess creativity goes into the, into the method itself. As you were describing the, the method, I can't remember the word you use, acoustic, is that correct? Encaustic, yes. Encaustic, okay. When you were describing the method, I was just so struck by how fascinating that is and how uh, just, just how much there is to it that I'm that is so outside my my knowledge base. Um, I'm curious is you know to talk a little bit about how you see art as being able to help motivate people to restore the earth. You mentioned before we we're pretty close to a point where we need to do something or else uh, we're we're unable to recover. How how can we motivate how can art motivate people to do that? I suppose art and ecology, um, and um, uh, I guess just by engaging in making, viewing, studying, and sharing, uh, those are all things um, that uh, help focus um, the mind. I was uh, also thinking there was a it's really great uh, quote by uh, Rachel Carson. Um, it says, those who contemplate the beauty of the earth find reserves of strength that will endure as long as life lasts. And uh, it's a little bit of a double-edged uh, quote, isn't it? As long as life lasts. Um, <laughs> whoa, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I think about, cause there's another type of art I'm thinking of right now that, that I see every time I go to an aquarium or something like that. And it's the art that's been created out of pollutants. Um, you know, so it's the it's the stuff they drag out of the ocean and then they create a, a sculpture out of it or something like that. And I wonder what what you think of those and what messages those send to people when they see them. I'm, I'm starting to think about them in a new way as we talk about it, I think. Oh, yeah, I love those projects. Um, yeah, some um, artists I've discovered recently, um, one person, I don't know if you saw her artwork or not, her not, name is Pam Longobardi. And um, she has something called the Drifters Project. You can find her online. And um, uh, she's an eco-feminist and uh, she uh, creates uh, artwork from plastics that uh, wash ashore. And um, just, I, I'm trying to think of how to describe her work, just large and small objects. And then she rearranges them in the gallery. So for example, she recreates uh, um, maybe like a five foot sculpture uh, from all this plastic garbage, um, a, a cornucopia and out of it, 
um, is coming all of the other, the garbage that it's made from that mm -hmm. hasn't been transformed into the cornucopia onto the gallery floor. Um, so they always have a message or she'll take um, plastic pieces and uh, on the wall and put them into uh, the shape of a water drop or is it a teardrop? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, just some really beautiful stuff. But there's some really great artists I really admire um, uh, and just diving into their work and trying to understand it. Um, uh, there's a fellow named John Sabra who um, his Chroma series, um, uh, he paints with, um, they're sort of abstract uh, landscapes and they have usually a reference to maps and um, they're about our fragile connection with nature, but he actually, um, uh, gets derives the pigments uh, from abandoned coal mines that have run iron oxide into the land. And um, he retrieves the iron oxide and then makes paint out of it. And he's actually partnered with um, a paint company, Gamblin, um, and has they've made a limited run artist grade paint uh, of that. So I love that idea of that collaboration. And so the, the profits from um, uh, that paint will go back to um, helping uh, uh, recover polluted streams. Um, but there are a number of other people, Andy Goldsworthy, he's someone that does ephemeral work that he photographs. It's really quite simple, but beautiful and must be really hard to do. Um, he'll take leaves and arrange them in fall leaves in beautiful colors and patterns across the landscape. And um, they are so painterly. Um, but they uh, remain as a photographic document. And um, this is my, my new crush as an artist, <laughs> another <laughs> artist, um, this guy from the Netherlands, his name is um, Bernard, see if I can say it right, Schmilde. <laughs> um, and you probably have seen these, they've been in um, some all over the place. Um, they're very surreal and um, what he does, so he has to know the science of doing this. Um, he'll create a floating cloud, an actual cloud in a really unorthodox place, um, like a, um, a gallery room or a, a church altar, uh, a small church space or um, just any number of things. And he knows how to create multiple clouds or single clouds. And when you look at them, they remind you of um, like a Magritte painting because the cloud is on an interior instead of the exterior. I'm not sure if this is echo, but um, it really, um, I, I find them just so exciting and um, they make you think of many possibilities and um, our connection to nature and um, uh, be meta some things that are metaphysical and but connective at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> so cool. I I also have like professional crushes as well, and so I'm I'm happy to hear that that's not just me. There's <laughs> others <laughs> others that do that as as well. I I wonder as we um as we come to a close here, um you could talk any about how art um helps us find hope or heals us um. I, I know that art therapy is, um, is as a field that combines together both of our fields uh, together, but um, what are ways in which art can help us heal from 
some of the stressors that come from climate change and from the pandemic or other things, how can art help heal us? Yes. Um, yeah, that's kind of a really complicated question. I guess maybe for somebody that does it, I have to think of all the many, like, oh, this goes in many <laughs> directions. But um, uh, maybe a simple story. Um, I was thinking of uh, when I was a child again, and um, uh, this, I guess it has a healing element to it. Um, well, anyway, I was maybe about three and drawing um, on paper. And um, I was thinking that I wanted to give presents to everyone for Christmas. And I was so frustrated that I didn't have any money to buy anything. I don't know why I thought of this at that time, but um, uh, I guess it's like a way to connect more um, deeply with people that you love. And so um, I drew a picture of myself and then I remember putting uh, outside my hands um, all these little presents that I imagined were what I would give that person. And it was in a, a little box with a bow and it was this very simple drawing. And then I, I remember um, uh, on one hand, uh, I thought, well, I, gotta, I have to put these all in a big bag so I can carry them to people. And I remember then um, starting with the line on my hand to draw the bag. And then it went from my hand out and around all the presents and then came back to my hand. And when it came back to my hand, um, I really felt emotionally uh, and in my imagination that I had given those presents. And then I had that drawing and I gave it to my mother and I explained what I was trying to do. And um, I think that connection that then I saw her appreciation um, of what I was thinking about and trying and feeling. And um, then I just knew art had some sort of magic, some sort of way to connect <laughs> to other people. And I was totally hooked. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Uh, no. Oh, it absolutely does. And I, I also, think of in your answer there that art is a gift mm -hmm. as well I mean like and I don't mean it like like you're gifted with it but but that you gift others um the the things that are in your mind or the things that are in your heart or the soul whatever <laughs> wherever those those things are um that it gives you a way to gift those um thoughts and feelings to others. And um, that's just spectacular because I think we all search for ways to tell others what we're thinking and feeling. Um, and it seems like art is a great way um, for you to do that, to, to share that gift with others. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's nicely said. <laughs> Very nicely said. So, Christy, as we wrap up here, are there, um, I want to make sure people know uh, about your website, which is christydeets.com. Um, anywhere else that people can find out more about you or can check out your work? We will, of course, post it all of the different places that we are, but anywhere else? Sure. If they want to join my Facebook page, um, I have... Um, uh, my trips to uh, my artisan residency at um, the Bruin College of Art and the projects that I made there, which were mostly little ephemeral pieces um, that were based on my 
actually picking up garbage <laughs> on my walks um, uh, to and fro where I was living and then the college. Um, and uh, yeah, there's uh, all my other sort of adventures and artwork um, are on my Facebook page. So that would be a good place. Perfect, that sounds great. So um, G, are you ready for a positive note? I am, I am. All right, I have no idea who goes first, so. Uh, I don't just, know, I can go, I'll go first this time. I perfect. Think it's my, my, my turn. So we decided um, that we were going to go with the theme of Earth Week and tell a time that we felt like the Earth restored us. That's a, that's a very uh, big and vague uh, sort of positive note, but um, I have been thinking a lot about how I'm not sure how I would have survived this pandemic had I not spent so much time in nature. Uh, I, I walk my dog twice a day, every day out in the woods and out in nature and um, like Christy said earlier when she was talking about walking in nature and her father telling her to pay attention to the details, I also have a, um, a passion for looking at the details of nature, no matter what the season is. And uh, I, I also learned from one of our colleagues in First Nations Studies, Lisa Poupard, told me there is no such thing as bad weather because Every uh, kind of weather is a gift that helps our planet heal and grow. And so every time I'm out walking and it's raining and muddy and I'm grumpy, I just <laughs> think, think to myself, pay attention to the details. How is this mud actually helping the earth heal and grow? And what will it bring um, in six weeks from now that will bring beauty to this earth that will help heal me. Um, and so I, I have spent a ton of time in nature during this pandemic and it is such a gift to me. What about you, Ryan? Well, that is a very good one. Mine is also pandemic related, um, but although a more specific example because so last summer, as you know, Georgina, I didn't get to spend as much time outside as I wanted to. I was uh, learning a new job and I didn't have a laptop. So I was spending a lot of time in my home office. My wife had a laptop and she was also working from home. So she would go sit out on our patio and um, I, I would go out there and join her for things that did not require a computer, which was not very much of what I was doing. Um, <laughs> But we took, we, you know, like most people, we had not uh, been on vacation for a long time and we had had to cancel quite a few uh, during the, the pandemic. Um, and so we, uh, last summer in August, took a trip to Upper Michigan to go camping. And this part isn't gonna sound super nature-y, but we rented an RV um, so that uh, we could mainly because we needed access to like a fridge and things like that. We weren't going to go into any restaurants. We weren't going to do anything that, so we needed or wanted uh, that stuff. But um, I, so I spent a week with my family in upper Michigan at various campsites. Um, and it was really one of those trips that in so many ways felt really pretty magical. 
Um, we, you know, we, even though we had access to a kitchen, we cooked every meal, but one, I think out over the fire. Um, we spent, you know, all we did all day was go on long hikes and go biking and swim um, and, and sit around the fire. It was this really, really uh, wonderful restorative trip. And, and there were two things about it. Part of it was the nature and part of it was family. Um, but there was a, another interesting point too I had where, um, because for whatever reason, when I think about nature, I actually think about being alone. Um, I don't necessarily, when I think about nature, I don't necessarily think about being with other people. And, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, but there was a campsite across from us at our last stop that was having a birthday party for their son. And it, you know, decided like it was going to be like a big family birthday party, but at this campsite. And watching them have sort of a birthday party that was very different than any I'd ever been to or had was a really, really fun exciting, powerful moment where I just kind of got to see this family who probably hadn't been together in a significant way in a long time either, um, enjoy this time together. It was really, really nice and sweet. And I think good for me at a time when I think I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by the, the state of the world. Um, yeah, so that was mine. Absolutely. And I think like using the term, like when you're feeling overwhelmed, like going out in nature is such a, a way to restore your brain. And there's plenty of science behind, yep. <laughs> behind that. And um, you know, like um, the neuroplasticity of your brain uh, in nature is just phenomenal and, and so amazing. Uh, and so I really, I, I do appreciate uh, Chrissy, you coming and sharing some of your thoughts about how you as an artist communicate that, um, that sort of connection with nature um, through art and also our connections with each other and how that's really important. So thank you so much for um, sharing that with us today. I have, to, I have to very quickly just share one of my favorite, favorite stories, teaching related story, because it relates to something you just said, Georgina. And I don't know if you remember this, but I think Christy will appreciate it too, but I, used to teach in my class, I taught a section in, in my psych of emotion class on like 10 things that will make you happy or something like that, 10 things that will lead to happiness. And after I did it, a student came up to me, one of Georgina's students and said, I have one you should add to that list and it's spend time in nature. And this was probably, I don't know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And I said, ah, oh, that's a good idea. And I went and talked to Georgina about it and she gave me a ton of things to read. <laughs> and I, but the best part about the thing I like so much about that story is because it's now a very, very important part of that class that it's something that I spend, not just, it's not just a, like a one-off sort of thing. It's something I spend a big chunk of time on. And so I, I like that piece about us being able to learn from each other and having students be the conduit that kind of sh share that information too. So it's always been one of my favorite sort of teaching related stories and wanted to talk about it quick. But That's pretty awesome. So yeah. 11 things that lead to happiness. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Because so you don't want to dip one of the other ones. Yeah. You just want to add on. <laughs> that, that is the downside is you know how I like nice sort of even numbers. So <laughs> having as long as it having, wasn't 13, you're fine. <laughs> yep, exactly. 
if, if somebody comes to me with two more, we're done. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Christy, thank you so, so much for being here. This has been absolutely fabulous. I love looking at your work and I love hearing you talk about it. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. It was fun. <laughs> and then another quick thank you to our intern, Kelsey. You can see her work firsthand if you give us a follow at Psych and Stuff. She's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also see that's one of the places we'll be putting out a lot of um, Chrissy's work, Chrissy's website, and so on. So go check those things out uh, to, see, to see more. You can follow me on Twitter or actually all of the places at Anger Professor. And Georgina? I'm at G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. So Georgina W-D. Perfect. Thank you so much. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salek. Our sound engineer for today's episode is Sarah Miller. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Bleese and our intern is Kelsey Engelhart. Special thanks also to our guest today, Dr. Christy Beats. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwtv.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina wilson Dungeons. Keep being amazing. Thank you.